This afternoon, our first scripture reading will come to us from the second epistle of Paul to the Corinthians, chapter 1, and our text will again come to us from Romans chapter 8 as we finish the short series that we did on the last part of Romans 8. So, second second Corinthians chapter 1, read the first 11 verses. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God which is at Corinth, with all the saints which are in all Achaia, a grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also abounds through Christ. Now if we are afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation, which is effective for enduring the same sufferings which we also suffer. Or if we are comforted, it is for your consolation and salvation. And our hope for you is steadfast, because we know that as you are partakers of the sufferings, so also you will partake of the consolation. For we do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, of our trouble, which came to us in Asia, and that we were burdened beyond measure, above strife, so that we despaired even of life. Yes, we had the sentence of death in ourselves, that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God, who raises the dead, who delivered us from so great a death, and does deliver us, in whom we trust that he will still deliver us, you also helping together in prayer for us, that thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf for the gift granted to us through many. This just gives a little picture of what Paul endured and what he realized the purpose was for enduring that, that he might know the comfort of Christ and be able to comfort others. Then turning to Romans 8, Romans chapter 8, and we will read again from verse 31 through 39, and our text will be 36 through 39 as we finish off this section. Romans 8, beginning at verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died, and furthermore is also risen. Who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing, 
shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. This far the reading of God's holy word. And may he himself bless it also this evening. He says, if God is for us, who can be against us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Here, we, as we, these sections that we read show us that Paul was so personally acquainted with the trials of life. And in verse 35, he listed uh, some of these circumstances in his life that might, might have make, made him think that Christ was not for him, that God was not for him, that would make us fear that God has forsaken us. But Paul was a man who once lived like he was in control of his own life and and destiny. He's a Pharisee who who prided himself in his life as as he lived blameless outwardly, who prided himself not only in his genealogy, but also in, in the law and his ability to keep it and to live it in front of the people. But Paul was also a man who later learned by the grace of God that without Christ we can do nothing. Nothing to save ourselves, nothing even to preserve ourselves in life. And so Paul then also found that rich assurance in Christ that it's Christ who saves, that it's Christ who preserves that salvation of his people, and that because Christ saves, no one is able to rob that salvation from his people. And so Paul understood that comfort. He he knew that comfort of Christ interceding at the right hand of God for him, not only to preserve his salvation, but then also to carry him and preserve him through the trials in this life. And here we see that Christianity is real. Because Christ is real. When does our faith become the most active? When do we need Christ the most? We can be so self-sufficient in our country like Paul first was because we live in such prosperity, such peace, such, with such ability to help ourselves in almost every area. But just like God warned Israel and said, when you come into the land of promise and you receive all this food and these cities you did not build, these fields that you did not plant and this food that you did not grow and you're filled, beware that you do not forget God, the God who delivered you from slavery, who brought you into the land of promise. And the same goes for us in this land where we have received so much, much of what we did not Uh, make ourselves, and yet God has given us, given it to us. How often do we forget the Lord in the midst of it? And we might not not face all these trials that Paul has listed here in verse 35, but how many of our brothers and sisters around the world do face so many of these daily? Where we hear, even of the, in Nigeria, of 
the, the Fulani militants coming with machetes and rifles and, and breaking up to church meetings and killing people and robbing their, their food and trampling their crops as they bring their cattle through and they steal their land and destroy their homes. Or in Afghanistan where the Taliban is rooting out all Christianity, even everything to do with Western civilization. Or in North Korea where people are so restricted even where they move around the country, where Christians are put into labor camps. And we can see how Satan really goes around this world roaring as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour to destroy. If he can't do it by pulling you away from God with the prosperity, with the temptations, he'll, he'll try to chase you away with persecutions and trials, with famine and nakedness and perils. But Paul says none of these things can separate us from the love of Christ, no matter how hard Satan tries. But all of these things should drive us to Christ, should teach us to learn more of who Christ is. And so Paul wants to demonstrate that we learn this comfort uh, personally by experiencing it through trials. Because religion is personal. We can learn a lot about it. We can hear about it. We can get it secondhand, but then it's not ours. And we do not have that same comfort or that same assurance that Paul had. And we don't have that assurance that nothing can separate me, my soul, my salvation from Christ. And we can only give real comfort to other people, as Paul said, when we ourselves have been comforted through these trials. And so Paul said in 2 Corinthians, as you read there, Blessed be the God and Father, of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. And so Paul is trying to lead us into this comfort by showing how, how he also experienced it. So the theme again this afternoon is the comfort of Christ, Christ's intercession, the comfort of Christ's intercession. And our focus, as I mentioned, is on verses 36 through 39. And the personal experience of the reality that nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And we see that first, that it's acquired through suffering. That comfort is acquired through suffering. Paul says in Philippians 1, verse 29, For to you it has been granted, means graciously given, not on the behalf of Christ, not only to believe on Him, but also to suffer for His sake. Do we believe that? I don't think we do. We don't want to believe that because we want the peace and the joy here and after. But that is why it's also so difficult, I think, to comprehend the reality of what it means that Christ is even now interceding for His people in heaven today continually. We acquire this comfort through suffering as we learn our need for Christ. In verse 36, Paul says, for your sake we are killed all day long. 
We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. He's quoting Psalm 42 here. This is the life of a Christian. We face these circumstances to, to some degree. And if we follow Christ, who was the Lamb of God, who Himself was led to the slaughter, we also will follow in those paths. But His path was one of suffering that He, he walked with, a, that went much deeper than what we will ever face in our life. But there's nothing strange or unexpected about the suffering that we will face for the Lord in this world. But still, the question that we often ask first is why? Why does God allow this? That's also often the question that we hear. Even the psalmist in Psalm 44, verse 23, cries out after he, after he says there what Paul quoted, and he says, Awake! Why do you sleep, O Lord? Arise! Do not cast us off forever! Why do you hide your face and forget our affliction and oppression? Here he was asking God, why has he forsaken them? Because that's how we feel when we face these difficulties. And so the question is really, how do we rejoice, as Paul says, in these sufferings? Because it's even at a young age that, that, that we begin to experience these trials and learn these things, whether, whether it is that we pay, taste the pain of death when we see a lo loved one pass away, or if we face the pains of being bullied or, or, or hurt by other people, or we can feel anxiety and, and, and troubles, uh, a trauma from accidents or fires or disasters. And, and these trials seem to increase as we uh, grow older. And those little trials, they prepare us for the, for the greater trials. But every one of them, from the smallest to the greatest, they teach us to depend on the Lord. And Paul understood that that suffering led him into a deeper communion with God, led him to a deeper realization of the reality of God's presence and of the reality that Christ is there interceding for His people. And what carries us through those moments is knowing that God is there, that we are not alone, that Christ is there, that He knows. I remember at various times when I was young as well, this thought comforted me. God knows. Even though there seems to be no one to defend me here, God knows. And the atheists also, they, they call that a weakness. But we have to confess, yes, we are weak. We cannot extend our life one moment beyond God's will. We cannot turn back time to undo that accident that just happened. We cannot live without the breath that God Himself gives. But Paul said, when I am weak, then I am strong. Because His strength comes from Christ. And we know that nothing can happen to us without God's will. And when Reverend Theo Angeloff realized that, it brought such a great peace to his heart. Because he was a pastor in Bulgaria who would secretly try to spread Bibles when it was a, when it was a communist regime. And the police would often come to search his place and if they, if they were found with Bibles, he, was, he had been put in prison before. He got accused of being a smuggler. 
And when the police came again, he had forgotten to hide the Bibles. There was a big stack in his basement. And the police went downstairs, and it's quite messy down there, and the police are looking around the outsides where it's all messy, and they, they didn't see anything, but they walked right past the stack, right in the middle of the room, right past the open Bibles. And he said, well, we see nothing here. You're good to go. And then he realized that nothing is beyond the control of God. God sets the limits, even in the persecution, even when these secret police come and search his house. And this brought such peace to his soul. Jesus himself said, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. If God is for us, who can be against us? And so this comfort is acquired through suffering because Paul shows further that we are conquerors in the midst of suffering. Secondly, conquerors in the midst of suffering. Verse 37, he says, Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. More than conquerors means to utterly defeat. That phrase can be translated as super conquerors. To have a complete victory. And Paul is saying that even though you're still in the midst of this battle, in this trial, still facing these perils and tribulations, yet in all these things, he says, we are, that is presently, more than conquerors, not just barely, not just squeaking through, but more than conquerors, completely conquerors, super conquerors, because Christ has overcome and your deliverance, your salvation is in Him. It is complete in Him. It is finished in Him, though not yet fully realized in your own life. But Paul says you're not just waiting for the end. You're a conqueror now in the midst of it because Christ has fulfilled it for you even now through Him who loved us. Not in our own strength, not in our own wisdom, not in us trying to outsmart the, the secret police, but in Christ who has gained that victory and who sets the limits in this world. And so these circumstances cannot harm or destroy our faith or our hope or our soul, but rather it works out to the strengthening of our faith. Unbelief wants to blame God and say, why did God allow this? But it teaches us to depend on God rather than man, to trust not only that not only our life, but also our death and our trials and our soul is in God's hands. Your faith being refined by fire to the praise of the God who gave it. And so our knowledge of Christ is being deepened as we enter the depths of suffering as, as He suffered for us. And it makes us consider a little, doesn't it, of what Christ entered on behalf of us, behalf of His people. It makes us consider a little of what our sins really cost us, of what our sin deserves, and what we're being saved from. Because believers are, are being delivered from an eternal tribulation and from eternal distress in hell forever, under the eternal wrath of God that wrath that Christ bore in the place of His people, that if He was not there to take it on the cross for His people, then we would face that ourselves. 
And it makes us consider a little of the love of Christ, that He would enter that willingly on behalf of His people for sinners, for rebellious, for those at enmity with God, for hell-worthy sinners, that Christ Himself would enter that suffering for us. And so if we think of these things, our communion with Christ is also strengthened as you cry out to God for help in the midst of distress. Because Christ not only intercedes for you on, on your behalf, commending you before the throne of grace because of His own finished work, where He says, this is one for whom I have died, this is one for whom I have paid, this is a, a child of, of the Father that will be taken into glory, remember Him. But He also gives the Holy Spirit to, in you to, to intercede in your heart. As He says in verse 26, the Spirit also helps our weaknesses, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, and especially in the midst of these trials, how can we know what to utter? But the Spirit Himself makes these intercessions for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And now He who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because He makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Christ there in heaven, and the Holy Spirit in your hearts, both interceding together as one crying out for deliverance. And your heart cries out to God for help, where there's no words to utter to Him. And the Spirit intercedes according to the will of God. And yes, the will of God can be that we will face these tribulations. And maybe that we need to be tested so that we can be comforted, that we may know that our faith is there, that it is real, that it is of God, that it may be strengthened. It may be that we need to learn to rely on God more in the situation because how self-reliant we are and how dependent we are on the things of this world and on one another. But verse 18 says, The sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared for the glory which shall be revealed in us. Yes, the glory that awaits the people of God in eternity, but even the glory of the grace of God now in the midst of suffering that is revealed in his people, in the midst of peril. And this is why Paul learned to take pleasure in suffering, the glory in suffering, not because he enjoyed the suffering, but because he, he, it drew him closer to God in Christ, because he tasted more of the glory of Christ's strength working in him because he learned to know more of his interceding high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ, who, who, who's, where his life comes from. And the real connection with God uh, through these moments are often the most precious. Think of when you met with the Lord. Those are the most impressionable times of all that never leave you when your heart is prepared in utter desperation to be so open to the will of God and to be so receptive to His leading and to His grace, where you're, you're not only looking for it, but you're crying for the Lord's help and grace. It's that time of confession, of sin, of humility, and of honesty with God and of openness with God. And God's Word can then be so directed and so perfectly to your heart that it comes like an arrow to the soul with such clarity, with such comfort, 
afford a present need. His Spirit witnessing with your Spirit through His Word that you are His and He is yours. And when we learn the reality of Christ interceding for us, that we are His, that He is ours, that through the testing of the circumstances of life, then, then we are persuaded that there's nothing that can separate us from the love of Christ for all eternity. Because we see that thirdly, persuaded by suffering. The comfort when you are persuaded that nothing can separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. This is what Paul could so powerfully say in verse 38. For I am persuaded, I am convinced by experience that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. For seven years, my Fu Ren, if I pronounce his name rightly, is spent in, 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 was spent in prison where he suffered and was tortured severely. And during that time, he said he was so depressed he wanted to die. Others did take their own life because they despaired of life and they saw no hope and no end. And he prayed, God, why have you put me in this prison? He was in de- distress of soul to the point. He said for those seven years he could not sense the presence of God. He could not get any comfort from His Word. All those years in darkness, not only in prison, but in spiritual darkness, and yet the Lord sustained him. Now, we do not always sense the Lord's presence when we go through these trials, and yet He is there interceding for us that our faith fail not. And he said, after seven years, then the Lord's word came to him like that arrow to the soul and said, I have tested you in the furnace of affliction. I have chosen you. And then he said he was so humble that he cried. And he thought, what good is there in me? Why would God choose me? God came to him at the lowest point in his life when he had no more hope, no more expectation because that's where God comes with his grace and with his comfort. And you notice the difference here that instead of asking why does God allow this to happen to me, we now begin to ask why, Lord, do you love me? Why do you choose me? Why do I deserve your mercy and grace set upon me? You see the difference? That filled his heart with such peace. Not deserving of the least, and the Lord gives him the most. To know that God values us. To know that God valued him. To know that God had mercy on him only because God chose to love him. Nothing in himself, but only because God chose to set his love upon him. If it was not for the love of God, no one could endure these things. But God has his eternal purpose. 
And he had to confess, this pastor, whom have I in heaven, O Lord, but thee? And who is there on earth, O Lord, beside thee? Then he was persuaded that nothing could separate him from the love of God in Christ Jesus. No, not tribulation, not distress, not persecution, not famine, nor nakedness, nor peril, nor sword, because he faced all these things here in prison as they starved him, as they tortured him, as he came face to face with death. Paul was persuaded by his experience, totally convinced that nothing could ever separate him from the love of Christ. And Paul uses the pairs of opposites here in verse 38, these lists of extremes to express that nothing could separate us from the love of Christ. There's nothing in this created world, he says, nothing that God has created that can separate us from the love of God, the Creator, neither death nor life. All these circumstances push Paul ever closer to death, that last enemy, but nothing can come between God and his soul. No terror can shake his soul. And no one can take his life outside of God's will. Not, not death, nor life. Because in this life we can often be so busy with the good things, so distracted with the nice and pleasant things, so tempted by the evil things. And yet nothing can separate us from the love of God. That's what Christ came to save us from. God gave us this life Death is a consequence of our sin, but by grace, death becomes that gateway into the presence of God, and we are absent from the body and presence with the Lord. Life is filled with these gifts of God. The gifts and blessing can lead us astray so often, but He will not allow them to separate us from Him. He will correct us through trials, through suffering to break our love for these temporal things. And these temporal things cannot replace the love of God. So these trials make these temptations and allurements lose their luster. And it begins to point us to Christ who can deliver us from them. And then as David, we can say we'd rather be a doorkeeper in, a, in, a, in his house, in the house of the Lord, than to spend a thousand in the tents of wickedness. Persuaded that neither life nor death can separate us from the love of Christ, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor good angels, not bad angels, no torments, no devils, no supernatural spiritual powers, no created powers, no, no evil powers, no principalities, no overwhelming ideologies that flood our, our nations, no governments, no dictatorships, and no, no solitary confinement cells in prison. Nothing can separate us nor things present, nor things to come. No trials you face right now. No trials you might think of that could come in the, in the future. Because often we can be so worried and filled with anxiety about when we try to imagine what's going to happen in the future. But Christ is all and in all, everywhere present. Nothing that has been or will be is beyond His power. No present temptation nothing that can occupy your time or your energy, no distractions. Christ is the one who intercedes. Nothing that will happen in this nation be Christ overrules. 
And Jesus says, do not worry about what a day will bring forth. Do not fear what man can do unto you, but fear God. Nor height, nor depth, nor any created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God. Just in case Paul missed anything, he says, no, no created thing. Everything in this universe has been created by God, seen and unseen, time, space, powers. And so nothing, no heights, no depth, no grave, no hell can separate us from Christ. If God is for us, who can be against us? If Christ is there truly interceding for you and God is on your side, then God sees no sin in His beloved, no condemnation in you, justified in His sight. And everything that happens in this life to you, good or bad, is directed by God for your salvation. And even sin is inside this creation. It's the fall of creation. And when you're saved, you're separated from it. You become that new creation. Then you're on God's side, united to Christ in that new creation. Then all of the old creation will pass away. Even our created body will pass away. Everything will be destroyed. But then you will be saved because you are united to God through Christ. A new creature in Christ. If God is for you, then who can be against you? This is a comfort that is beyond words to express. But it's a reality of those who are truly in Christ. And God leads His people into the knowledge and the comfort of that, often through trials. But this is a comfort that you do not have if you are not in Christ today. That if you are not a new creation in Christ, then you are already and still separated from God and His love. But this is a comfort that we all need. And he says, flee then now to Christ, who alone can make you a new creation. Because that is the only place where it is found, because Christ still intercedes for transgressors today. Then who shall separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus? Amen.